Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome, creeps and peepers. This is Scared to Death. I'm Dan. Hey, Dan. It's me, Lindsay. <laughs> Hello, Lindsay. Hey. We're getting right to it today. Oh. So fast. Okay, wow. Oh, All right. yeah, yeah. Whoa. Very, very, very little here. Ba- badass Plague Doctor inspired Dr. Dr. Creepy New Tea up at badmagicmerch.com. Okay. Discount code flashed on the screen for YouTube viewers only. Oh, hells to the yeah. <laughs> and then two episodes uh, from me today, Lindsay. How oh, many? two stories? Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're I was right. like, whoa, two, I'm not prepared for two episodes, Oh, yeah, buddy. doing so many episodes, two stories. Two are just going to be in here all day. <laughs> cool. <laughs> how many stories for you? Uh, two, and we're going to Sweden for one of them, which will be oh. scary and funny to listen to me try and say some Swedish words. Oh, yeah, they're tough. Woof, buddy. Tough. And there's no pronunciation guides out there for them. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 All those Nordic, yeah, I mean, I- Icelandic, <laughs> Finnish, those country, man, That's what some sounds tough, like. tough uh, uh, words for a non-native speaker. Yeah, lots of consonants smashed together. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, first tale of mine mm-hmm. has to do with a small town family being disturbed by uh, aggressive poltergeist activity that disappears as quickly and mysteriously as it arrives. I, well, I'm grateful. A head shaker. I like that it goes away. Okay. Fair. That's true, fair. Uh, second story takes us uh, to the you know some dark history and presents the ghosts of Philadelphia's infamously haunted Eastern State Penitentiary, oh. a place that gets lots of tours still today. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've only been to Philadelphia once. I've been there, uh, yeah, several several times. Great city for history in general, mm-hmm. including uh, based on this story, a paranormal history. My mom tried to take us to the Liberty Bell. Mm-hmm. Like very late at night. Yeah. And I don't know anything about Philadelphia, but I'm oh, from Cleveland. Oh, yeah. And at the time that we went, I don't think it was like a place that you wanted to go at night. Mm-hmm. And my mom just felt real uncomfortable. We were driving into town. She was like, lock the doors. We're getting out of here. And my brother and I were like, "Funny, feels no different than Cleveland. But for right. some reason, she panicked. She had some bad vibes. Bad maybe, juju. Maybe some of these ghosts were around. Maybe. All right. Well, um, I'm wearing, I think that these are handmade little lambies. Oh, those cute. I, I know not everyone cares about my socks, but hey, here. you know what? If you care about them, I then, love then, them. Then these care are, about them. These are real cozy. Some people love your socks. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into it. Okay. First story. Uh, sometimes when a dark spirit, a little bit of setup here, not a lot. Okay. Uh, sometimes when a dark spirit makes its presence known, it becomes more and more malevolent until it's dealt with. It escalates its paranormal activity until it's exercised or cleansed or banished in some way. The situation must be addressed before the problem is solved. In other cases, an entity seems to attach itself more permanently to a place. A tragic scene is reenacted over and over again, sometimes for hundreds of years. Someone's final agony seems to soak into the ground or walls of a physical, you know, place. Sometimes, as we've talked about, entities, you know, attach themselves to a a person. In still other cases, uh, something wicked, something corrupted arrives inexplicably, torments people or a place or both for a finite period of time before disappearing as suddenly and perplexingly as it first appeared. This, this is one of those stories. Okay. Time now for the tale of I'm supposed to be here. When Charlie was younger, she lived with her mom and two brothers in a mobile home that sat on a piece of land near the outskirts of a small town, land owned by her grandfather and used for his businesses. 
Behind their trailer was a typical small town neighborhood uh, slash trailer park. And in front of their home, a lawn gave way to a large gravel parking lot where trucks could load and unload things at Charlie's grandfather's warehouse. The warehouse was on the right side of the lot and Charlie's grandpa's car wash sat on the left side near the highway. Raised by a single mom who uh, worked long hours, Charlie and her brothers spent a lot of time alone in the house learning early how to take care of themselves. And they all enjoyed a pretty happy and normal childhood with the exception of a strange haunted period that went on for around eight months. The strangeness began when young Charlie started hearing her own name being called. Once it started, it occurred on a regular basis and the oddest part was that uh, to Charlie it sounded like she was hearing her own voice. Oh. Calling out for her in an urgent whisper. Just Charlie. Charlie. She always uh, heard her own voice except for one time when she thought she heard her mother calling out for her. Charlie was outside in the yard when she heard her mom suddenly shriek her name from inside the house, sure that something terrible had just happened. She rushed in only to find her mom calmly doing dishes. Charlie's mom was completely fine, denied ever having called out for her daughter, and Charlie's mom not the type to pull pranks on her kids. And she definitely wasn't the type to prank her daughter and then never even admit to it. The experience of Charlie hearing her name being called by herself went on for months with no other paranormal experiences attached to the strange phenomenon. Eventually, another recurring disturbance was thrown in. Between 3.15 and 3.20 a.m., Charlie would suddenly snap wide awake, and this went on for several weeks every single night. No, thank you. Laying there in the dark, a strong sense of fear would wash over her after she'd woken, and she'd just lay there, scared for several minutes with nothing happening, before eventually slowly dozing back off. Then after weeks of this, one night Charlie woke up at the usual time and something did happen. She heard someone tapping on her bedroom window. Oh, fuck me. Just a light tap, 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 tap. And then she saw him. By the glare of a nearby street light, she could see the silhouette of a man's head. He had dark hair, a beard, and wore glasses over cold, cruel eyes. And she watched him continue to tap against her window with a dirty fingernail. Tap, tap, tap. Ugh. Tap, tap, tap. The first few times this happened, Charlie went from being frozen with fear for a few seconds to screaming and waking up her two older brothers who slept in the room next to hers. When Jimmy and Chris would run in, Charlie would tell them there was a man trying to break into their home. She'd point at the window, but he'd of course be gone. Of course. Soon Charlie became the girl who cried wolf even though she really was seeing a wolf of sorts. And her brothers, not surprisingly, got pretty irritated with her for constantly waking him up. The commotion also woke up her mom several times who needed to rest for a long day of work the following day. uh, And she was also less than pleased with her daughter. Charlie's brothers tried to convince her that maybe it was just a kid from the neighborhood playing a prank on her. But her window sat about nine feet off the ground. And the dirt below her window was always soft, if not outright muddy. And it never had any marks on it, ladder or otherwise. Soon after this began, something new began that terrified Charlie further, but at least this time she wasn't alone hearing it. Charlie and her brother started to hear something heavy moving around up on the roof shortly after they'd go to bed. Happened two or three times a week. After the first few nights, everyone in the trailer was hearing it, or after the first few times. Slowly pacing back and forth over the length of the trailer, it would eventually speed up, becoming louder and louder, before suddenly just vanishing. This would be followed by a series of loud, ominous knocks that came from random spots above the ceiling. Sounds that made Charlie and her family wonder if something was about to break through the roof. 
It's like something running around and then quiet and yeah. then some kind of pounding. One night in particular, the knocks were so loud that Charlie and her mom and her brothers ended up all huddled together uh, with her mom screaming, go away, go away, and everyone crying. Ugh. Everyone definitely experiencing this together. Seeing the fear in her mom's eyes terrified young Charlie. Up until that point, she tried to explain everything away. It was the wind. It was their imaginations. It was the neighbor's cat. After that night, Charlie's mom refused to acknowledge anything was happening. Total denial was how she coped because she didn't know how to process what she was actually experiencing. It was too much. It was hard enough to work 60 plus hours a week to keep food on the table and the bills paid. Adding being terrorized by some paranormal entity was unbearable. So she just refused to acknowledge it anymore, which did not help Charlie and her brothers very much. Mm-hmm. Charlie and her brothers never did figure out what was making those noises on the roof. They talked about how it was impossible for an animal big enough to make all of that noise to get up there. And no human could move across the roof as fast as the thing did. So what was it? They'd have to live with never knowing. Another extremely odd and unsettling incident occurred when Charlie and her brothers and her mom weren't even home. Charlie's grandma had called to talk to her mom. And she said that the phone was answered by someone she thought might be a friend of her younger brother, Chris. When this kid or this thing pretending to be a kid told her everyone was gone at the moment, she asked him why he was there when no one else was home. Right. And the thing simply said, I'm supposed to be here and then hung up. Oh, my God. That phrase haunts Charlie to this day. I'm supposed to be here. Charlie and her family still don't know who her grandmother spoke to that day. All of her brother's friends denied being in the home when the family wasn't there. And if they had snuck in, why would they answer the phone? Right. A few weeks after the phone call when Charlie's oldest brother, Jimmy, was out with his friends when her mom was working and Chris was at the grandma's house, Charlie was home alone. She was sitting in the dark, watching a baseball game on TV with her headphones on and jamming out to some Joan Jett with the volume maxed out. Jimmy forgot something and came back into the house to get it. And before he left again, he motioned for Charlie to take off her headphones. Then he told her to turn off the light in their mom's room before bolting out the door to hop back in his friend's car. He knew their mom would be mad if she came home and saw the light had been left on. She was always worried about the electric bill. After Jimmy left, Charlie looked down the dark hallway that led to her mom's room. And sure enough, she could see the glow from under the closed door. Charlie felt a little scared to walk down the hall in the dark when no one else was home. And she thought, why should I have to do it? Why couldn't Jimmy have done it? Right. She convinced herself that she didn't have to do what her brother told her to, and she soon forgot about the light altogether and went back to enjoying some music in her game. She was still sitting there in the dark when Jimmy came home for the night and thanked her for turning the light off. Charlie had totally forgot about it. Now she was freaked out. The thought that the bulb may have just burned itself out didn't even occur to her. And when she told Jimmy, it didn't occur to him either because he got freaked out too. They ran to Jimmy's room where he had a couple of knives. They each grabbed one, slowly walked over to their mom's bedroom. They snuck in and checked the light, which was in the off position. And when they turned it back on, it worked just fine. They turned it off and on a few times to be sure it worked perfectly, which scared the shit out of both of them. The bulb had not burned out. Someone, something must have turned it on and off. They checked the back door and it was locked. Charlie had been close enough to the front door. She wouldn't have seen someone come in. They were left with yet another unexplainable incident. A few days after just one light turning off, and I guess it just would have had to have been turned off by somebody, not turned on after I said that. Charlie and her brothers came home after riding their bikes uh, until sunset to find that the whole trailer was lit up while their mom was still at work. They could also hear noises coming from inside. No way. When they went inside, they found every single light on. All of them. 
The TV and an old radio their mom had were both blaring. All their water faucets were turned on full blast. What? And both phones were off the hook. They turned off the TV and radio and called out. No one answered. They searched the house, knives in hands, found no one. Too freaked out to stay inside. They turned off all the lights, turned everything off, walked over to the grandpa's car wash, sat down behind it, stared at the trailer, wondering what to do. While they were sitting there talking, suddenly and at the same time, every single light came back on, <gasps> along with the noise from the TV and radio blaring at full volume. And they saw it all. Mm-hmm. They saw it all oh pop back on. Without saying a word, Charlie and her brothers took off on their bikes, rode to the house of their aunt who lived nearby, and they stayed there until their mom came home from work hours later. They didn't get in any trouble because their mom knew they weren't lying. She also still refused to talk about it, still didn't want to acknowledge anything. Luckily, she didn't have to deal with the poltergeist activity much longer. School had just begun for the fall about eight months after Charlie had first uh, started hearing her name being called out by herself. Jimmy left for school earlier than Charlie and Chris, and before they left one morning, the younger two went through the trailer to turn everything off. Starting with the light in their mom's room, Charlie made her way down the hall to another set of light switches in the kitchen. When she got to the kitchen, she turned back around towards her mom's room to double check, make sure she turned the lights off, and that was when she saw the hazy shape of a man standing in the doorway of her mom's room. No distinct features, clearly a man's shape. She knew in her gut it was the man from the window tapping on the glass. Oh, my God. Charlie stood frozen, hand on a light switch, staring at this thing in silence. Her brother Chris was near the door, tying his shoes and saying something to her that she didn't hear. She was transfixed by the thing at the other end of the hall. Charlie then pushed the switch down and the light in the hall went off. When she did that, the thing in the door immediately quickly floated towards her. <gasps> Once it reached the place where the hall became the kitchen, it stopped again, just hovered there a few inches off the floor, seemingly looking at her as much as something with no discernible eyes can look at you. Charlie's brother Chris now saw it too. Oh it was God. only about 15 feet away from his sister. Suddenly, Charlie turned and sprinted towards the open door that her brother had just bolted out of. As Charlie closed the door behind her, Chris spun around and watched this thing rush into the living room. Coming for his little sister, he yelled, Run! as the door slammed shut. And then Charlie and Chris ran out into the yard, past their grandpa's car wash, and towards the school. <sighs> they were both terrified to go home that day. Yeah. When they told their older brother Jimmy, he too was not looking forward to sleeping in his own bed that night. But they did go home, and they each laid awake in terror for hours before falling asleep. Charlie and Jimmy both cried themselves to sleep that night and for the next several nights. But they never saw it again, never heard anything on the roof of the trailer again either, or had any more lights turn on by themselves. Charlie never heard herself call for herself again. This happened over 15 years ago now, and none of them has experienced anything paranormal since. The only paranormal torment they live with is the not knowing. What happened in their home for eight months? Who was the man in the window? Why did he chase Charlie and Jimmy out of the home? Why, was he also on the roof? Did he turn everything on the trailer? Did he call out Charlie's names? And will he ever return? Yikes. Yeek. Yeek. I wasn't mm -hmm. expecting it to um, switch into an apparition. Mm-hmm. There I, the I, I thought it was going to be just... I, th I thought she was going to get to the end of the yeah. hall and she was going to look back and all the lights were going to be back on again. Like, right, oh, right. Like, you know, you're leaving a house, you're turning them off, and then you turn around, like, did I get them all? And mm -hmm. then I thought it was going to be like, back and, I, on. and I think there was a, I think there was a little mistake, uh, not that it really mattered, but it was Chris at the end, not, I think it's supposed to be Chris, not Jimmy, because otherwise that wouldn't make sense. The younger. Got so it. I think there was a little, I, for anybody, for anybody catching it uh, at home. I was uh, so wrapped up, I didn't. Okay, okay, good. But for me, my anal brain, I'm like, I think they meant to say. 
I think it's doesn't a little, really matter. It it's, really it's matter. fine. It's fine. One of say. the brothers. One of the brothers. I think it was the yeah. some yeah. some actual human. None. Yeah. But yeah, those ones are interesting to me. Just like the you know different kinds where um, Mimi itchy. It doesn't have you know like you know a lot of these things end with some type of cleansing or sometimes right. But also just yeah, just so weird. Like sometimes they just they just stop, which I guess is the best you can hope for. I guess. But also it would leave you a little unnerved. Totally. And me, it would leave me unnerved just because then I would just think like, okay, but you know, I have no idea why it started in the first place. Right, because if I could figure that out, I'm not doing that again. Right, I want you to go right. away for good. Right, right. right. Yeah, it, it, Maybe he it, was just uh, passing through. God, who knows, yeah. Uh, as you were describing it, I was thinking of your childhood, just mm-hmm. where you grew up. Mm-hmm. Just like you grew up in a oh, trailer yeah. park. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh God. I mean, I could really picture right. it. I could really see it. Mm-hmm. I was thinking yeah. about how your mom would definitely have been crying. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. She's more of a scaredy cat now, but she was, uh, yeah, definitely back then. too. Yeah, it's funny. There were some, like, um, geographical similarities. I mean, you know, m- my grandpa didn't have, well, I guess he owned a lot of land we technically lived on, but he didn't have a business down there. Right. But there was the, the trailer I spent, like, oh, the age that this kid seem, feels like to me in this story, the age isn't really given. Mm-hmm. But, like, um, oh, it would have been for me for, like, third grade through eighth grade. The trailer we used to, like, was really close to this gravel pit and yeah. warehouse. And, it, and so it definitely, I was like, uh, I was picturing Riggins. Me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, when, yeah. when I was picturing what these kids were up to. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah. Sounds sounds like Dan's childhood. Yeah. 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 Do you have pictures? I do. I do. I, I have some, some questions. Okay. So this first picture uh, is from... Uh, <laughs> you scared me last week with photos. Dang so it. it's like if you do it every week, I know, I'm too immune. Much. Okay, this is from um, I, I I did but Google that is a terribly scary face. I know I did Google trailer demon, and it, this oh. is this is from some 2019 British indie horror movie called Jack in the Box. Okay, well that this, would that would yeah. do it. You know the still shots look really scary to me. Yeah. I I will say it, the ratings can be really unfair to horror movies, but the ratings on this movie were pretty bad. Yeah, so well, I haven't seen it yet. I mean, think about like if you were cranking, 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 and then that's what jumped out at you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that is the premise. That seems to be the premise of this movie, just from the trailer, is that uh, the, the Jack in the Box is actually where they used to store like demons. I'm laughing because <laughs> my family is so cruel to each other. Yeah. My cousin Vince, terrified of Jack in the Boxes. Oh, yeah. You told me about simply this. Simply because, like, yeah. okay, as a kid, obviously you're kind of like, whoa, you know, that scares sure, you when you're little. You. But so his siblings and his mom. <laughs> <laughs> would wind it up until they knew it was about to burst, knowing that it would scare him. Huh? And then they would like be like, Vince, go do it. Right. So he's, he thinks he has a couple seconds and then it'd be immediate. Oh, I'm sure it was awesome. Uh, this, okay. So this next one, I just, I just Googled a haunted trailer home. It just, okay. It just, you know, and this oh, one gosh. spooked me. You know what? Cause you know what I thought of? What? Is you and I have driven through uh, central and northern Nevada. Yeah. And there's these long stretches of high desert where there's nothing. I don't do well during those stretches. Mm-hmm. And then you'll reach a little town, and I use the word town very loosely. Mm-hmm. Like maybe there used to be a mine there and yeah. there isn't anymore. So it's kind of a ghost town, but people do still live there. And it's basically a, a trailer park way mm-hmm. out in the desert. And it's just so isolated. And yeah. it to me reminds me so much of like the set of like a horror movie. Oh, yeah. It's like, and no offense oh. to anybody who like lives there or has to live there or can't get out or anything like that but it is so scary because you're not desolate. from there and you you see nothing for hundreds of miles mm-hmm. and then this little outcropping of really beat up trailers mm-hmm. it, they're always really in rough yeah. shape and then I it's would just like, feel so vulnerable oh my god to the elements to <sighs> people coming through oh man to all the things i read i read a stephen king it was like a desperation i think was the name of it. It, was, it was like a weird book where he did 
two books. He went wrote one under a pseudonym that was basically like the same book. Okay. So I get a little confused in my head. I think Desperation, but it's it was set in a place like that. Mm-hmm. And oh, it's, it's it spooked me ever since those little places. I can picture it so clearly. Like I can feel it. Mm-hmm. Yikes. You, uh, yeah, that'd be a, I feel like they could, they could do a really good horror movie in a setting like that. I can't think of one off the top of my head that's been done. Right. Like a really good one. Well, because it'd be so easy. The setup would be so easy. Family goes on cross-country road trip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're driving along. It's a hot, hot desert. Car breaks a- down. AC goes out. Like something something yep. minor, right? Uh, but, yep. but something big enough that you have to deal with it. And you're like, oh, the next town, the next town. Yeah. And there's no fucking next town. And, and you know, you don't even have to pull that horror movie gimmick that, that I get why they have to pull it, where they have to um, set it back uh, like mid 90s or before. Yeah. Uh, what do you, period piece because of landlines. Because mm-hmm. cell phones kind of ruin a lot of horror movie premises. This is true. You know, because people that just fat, you just fucking call for help. Yeah. Anywhere. But like, but back like in one of, those, <laughs> one of those places, you know, it could be like no cell service. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of places that don't have cell service. Yeah, surprisingly. Fewer and fewer, but yes, I think still it's still some. Yellowstone National Park, no cell service, no Wi-Fi. Um, I wanted to touch base on that uh, name-calling thing. I feel like that is a thing that has been coming up in some of the the fan stories. Yeah. I feel like not that long ago that that came up. That really freaks me out when it's like you think you hear someone saying your name. Oh, yeah. And it's a voice that you recognize. Yeah. Because that has happened to me. It's Mm -hmm. the same way bear with me to me it's almost like a phantom ringing of my phone where i'm like i swear Mm. my phone just like made a sound or buzzed or something and it absolutely didn't oh yeah and that kind of freaks me out because i'm like that's weird that shouldn't Uh happen why i I just heard it buzz like not buzz make the ding 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 whatever it does uh you heard it over and over too just Lindsay. yeah like like oh yeah no it's gonna weird anybody out yeah i don't uh i particularly find that detail so creepy uh and the waking up at the same time Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I have been waking up the past few nights every night at mm-hmm. 4.02. Weird. And I don't like it. Exactly 4.02. Exactly 4.02. Weird. Now, now, a, couple, a couple nights ago, you weren't feeling great. Yeah. So maybe maybe it's you waking up and then oh, me responding to your wake up. Maybe something in the house wants you. Gee. Wants to mess my stomach up. <laughs> well, uh. Maybe. I forgot I had my little handy dandy notebook. <laughs> and it, it really helps me stay in the story because then I oh, yeah. can make that. That's a good idea. I need to get one of those because sometimes I have little thoughts where I don't want to like forget about it, but I don't want to not listen either. Right. And I don't want to interrupt because yep. I, I know how frustrating that is. Mm-hmm. So you ready for another one? Hi. It's a little bit longer, this one. Okay. No setup. Okay. And we're going to weave back and forth between historical accounts and claims of paranormal account- encounters. Okay. So it's going to be. Yeah. In like... and out. In and out. Okay. So time now for the tale of the ghost of Eastern State Penitentiary. Oh, yeah. Okay. Gary Johnson, a locksmith hired by the government to do some repair work on a crumbling prison in the Fairmont neighborhood of Philadelphia, paused before an empty cell. He set his toolbox down and evaluated the lock before him. It was 140 years old and rust was coming off on Gary's gloves, but even though it should have given away quickly, it wasn't budging. The door to cell block four remained stubbornly shut. Whistling a little bit to himself, he got out one of his longer picks and inserted it into the lock, wiggling until he felt the mechanism inside slide out. And then, when he felt the lock give way, he later claimed to have felt a cold force invade and pass through his body. He saw ghostly faces surround him. A darkness seemed to press in on him from all directions he couldn't move, and then he heard the lock he just opened slide back into place and click shut, trapping him inside the old cell block. Oh. 
Later, after he'd managed to get out, Gary would wonder if he'd somehow opened some kind of doorway when he broke that lock on the cell door. He later said it felt like all the misery and pain that had been kept inside the prison walls since the prison first opened were suddenly unleashed. Eastern State Penitentiary, where Gary had been working, wasn't supposed to be the nightmare it quickly became. It was designed with the thought that the key to criminal rehabilitation was criminal isolation. In practice, it was nothing more than a series of torture rooms. When Eastern State first opened way back in 1829, it was an architectural marvel. The enormous complex featured gothic turrets, intricate uh, intricate stonework, and iron doors that only moved when someone was being brought in, or, much less often, being let out. Eastern State considered to be the world's first true modern penitentiary. When completed, it was the largest and most expensive public structure ever built in the United States. Wow, okay. It was the first incarceration structure built with an octagonal center connected by corridors to seven radiating single-story cell blocks, kind of like spokes on a wheel, each containing two ranges of large single cells, 8 by 12 feet, 10 feet high, with hot water heating, a water tap, toilet, and individual exercise yards the same width as the cells. Compared to other prisons, Eastern State Penitentiary was a technical marvel. Eastern State's revolutionary system of incarceration, dubbed the Pennsylvania system or separate system, encouraged isolated confinement as a form of rehabilitation. Prisoners were not allowed to interact with other prisoners at all, in any way, at any time. They ate alone. They exercised alone. They read the Bible, the only book they were allowed to read, alone. They weren't allowed to talk to one another. They weren't allowed to talk to the guards. On the rare occasions, they were taken out of their cells. Hoods were put over their heads. Holy shit. Guards wore felt shoe covers so as to keep the prison as quiet as possible. Utter silence and utter solitude for a full 24 hours every day, sometimes for decades, to think about what you did. My God. A system devised with the best intentions and also a system that would drive even the most sane person completely mad. After a few years, the isolation, the constant not knowing what was going on in the outside world or even in the other cells around you drove many prisoners to the edge of sanity. When the rare prisoner not sentenced to life left Eastern State after the duration of their sentence, they often did not know how to reintegrate into society. I bet. Author Charles Dickens, famous author, visited the prison in 1842 and wrote, Looking down these dreary passages, the dull repose and quiet that prevails is awful. Occasionally there is a drowsy sound from some lone weaver's shuttle, but it is stifled by the thick walls and heavy dungeon door, and only serves to make the general stillness more profound. Over the head and face of every prisoner who comes into this melancholy house, a black hood is drawn, and in this dark shroud an emblem of the curtain dropped between him and the living world. He is led to the cell from which he never again comes forth, until his whole term of imprisonment has expired. He is a man buried alive to be dug out in the slow round of years. Yeah. Besides the solitude, there were also a variety of medieval punishments doled out to anyone who disturbed the silence that would also push anyone into madness. Inmates who broke the rules risked being dunked in a bath of ice-cold water and then hung from a wall for the night. What? During the winter months, frostbite from this punishment was common, with the water on inmates' skin supposedly sometimes forming a thin layer of ice before morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another punishment was nicknamed the Mad Chair, because it was not uncommon for an inmate to lose their sanity before this punishment ended. Prisoners were strapped into a chair with leather strips so tightly bound that it was impossible for them to make even the smallest movement. 
and they would remain in that state for days, deprived of food, sitting and sitting and sitting until the circulation in their bodies almost stopped from the tightness of the straps and the utter lack of movement. Holy hell. Then the drowsy and delirious inmate would be tossed back into a lonely cell where they would suffer in silence before sometimes, once again, being brought back and strapped into the chair once more. Oh my god. The worst punishment, this is brutal, was known as the iron gag. Inmates who tried to communicate with other inmates would sometimes have an iron collar clamped onto their tongue, and this collar was connected via chains to their wrists. Their wrists were tied behind their back. Any movement the iron gag prisoner made resulted in their tongue being literally ripped and torn which often led to severe bleeding. A number of inmates bled to death after ripping out portions of their own tongues. Oh my God. Another popular horrific punishment was the hole. Dug under cell block 14, the hole was nothing but a pit in the ground where the worst inmates would stay locked sometimes for weeks. No light, little air, not wide enough to lay down. Inmates would stand and crouch in a rat and cockroach infested pit Mm. day after day in the hole, given just enough water and stale bread to barely survive. By 1913, Eastern State had officially abandoned these medieval punishments and the solitary system in general, and it continued to operate then as a normal prison until it finally closed in 1971. The city of Philadelphia intended to redevelop the massive property, but it never happened. It now exists as a museum where you can go on guided tours of the creepy castle-like ruin full of long corridors of opened eerie cells and half-crumbling walls, warped bed frames, and broken furniture. Several million of macabre tourists now visited the former Eastern State Prison, and many of them say they've experienced things, unexplainable, odd, sometimes downright terrifying things. One of the first stories told of ghostly activity was actually told by famed Chicago gangster Al Capone, who was housed in this prison for eight months in 1929 and 1930. He claimed to have been haunted by the ghost of James, of James Clark, one of the uh, murder victims of Capone's St. Valens Day Massacre in Chicago. Oh, yeah. Allegedly, Capone screamed uh, night after night for Jimmy to leave him alone. Capone was also known to have been driven insane from untreated syphilis. So while he's the most famous example of someone seeing an apparition inside East State Prison's walls, he's probably not the most credible. But what about the hundreds of accounts like the ones I will share next? Are they all lies and overactive imaginations? This account was given by a woman who visited the prison several years ago. I'll repeat it in the first person as she left it. She said, I've gone numerous times over the past dozen years to just walk around. Even in the daytime, there's this presence you feel the second you walk through the front gates. I know the prison was designed to look intimidating, but it's something more than that. About 11 years ago, I got the chance to spend a few hours at night in the prison. It was one of those things like a fundraiser where you can go and explore and your money gets donated to charity. So I thought, hell, why not? It's for a good cause. I was assigned to cell block 12. Right away, I felt apprehension. Like 12 was a particularly bad cell block to be assigned to. I saw the rest of the crowd move towards their cell blocks and I wished I was with them. But there was no going back. So I took my flashlight and proceeded down the hall. The vaulted ceilings are so tall. So it really feels like being in a church or something except that every now and then something would crumble off the wall and dust or rubble would fall on me and I had to stay still and not breathe so I wouldn't breathe in this dust. It was eerie. The only sounds I heard aside from myself were the crumbling walls. There were others in the prison doing the same thing I was doing, but they might as well have been miles away. I felt entirely alone. 
Holding my bag in one hand and my flashlight in the other, I began to notice that whenever I would point my flashlight in one direction, I would see a shadow flip from the opposite direction out of my line of sight. The place my flashlight was on would be normal, a dusty corner of a cell, but in my peripheral vision, I could see something fly across the hallway from one cell to another. It was always just outside of my line of sight, but I never shook it. It felt like it was following me. I kept going. My footsteps were so loud. It felt like something was right behind me, matching my every move. I was almost at the end of my cell block. There were just a few cells left. I wondered what would happen when I had to turn around. Just as I saw the wall looming in front of me, blocking me from going any further, I took a deep breath and turned around and boom! I screamed. But even as I was screaming, I saw it was my friend Michael, who had just come on tour with me. Jesus Christ, Michael, I said. What's the matter with you? But he wasn't paying attention. He was straining to hear something. You have to go into that cell, he said, pointing at a cell a few feet from us. I heard footsteps in it, I swear. He sounded so excited that I quickly did as he said. I had to duck to get into the cell, and once I was inside it, I saw how truly small and gloomy it was. After a moment, I started to hear small sounds, like scuffling or shuffling, and then a footstep, then a couple more, like someone was pacing around the outside of the cell. Very cool, Michael, I said, but I know that's you. What? Michael's voice rang out from the opposite end of the cell block, all the way by the door to the entrance, over the length of a city block away. Yikes. You say something? I started walking after him. It was just too constricting, too eerie in that tiny cell. While I had been in there, it had begun to feel like someone was circling me, scraping their feet on the floor as they walked around me. I didn't shake that feeling until I was completely outside the prison. One other thing happened that, to this day, I can't forget. Later, as I walked down on a different cell block with some uh, different people from the tour, I was about to tap a girl in the shoulder to tell her her shoe was untied when suddenly the distinct sound of someone pacing in heavy boots came from the catwalk above us. There was no railing up there, so it wasn't in use. In fact, we had both been strongly cautioned against going on any of the catwalks because they were rickety and in danger of collapsing. We looked up, and there was nothing there. The girl told me she'd be recording the tour... And as we stood outside afterwards, waiting to get our coats from the coat room, we listened to the tape. The recorder played the sound of the boots stomping above us exactly as we'd heard it. Uh-uh. The really creepy thing was it also recorded from the cell was a deep male voice whispering, Get back in there. Don't look at me. I've been back a few times since, but always during the day, I would never want to go into that place at night again. Visiting East State Penitentiary... Eastern is one thing, but what about working there? What about steeping yourself in the environment where so many suffer day after day, being driven insane by their own minds? What experiences would that give you? One woman, Amy, worked at the Eastern State Museum for 13 years. She has a lot of stories. One night during her first year, she was cleaning paintbrushes from a recent community night with a colleague. They were the last two people on the premises. In the back area of the room they were in, both Amy and her coworker started to hear what sounded like a person stamping something and then moving a paper over. And then another stamping noise and then another piece of paper being moved. It sounded like someone doing office paperwork. They heard the sound of a cup being sat down on the desk and they were the only two people in the building. It scared them bad enough that they both ran out of the room. Not only did Amy experience multiple occurrences of paranormal activity like this, she also heard numerous accounts of hard-to-explain sights and sounds from the people she worked with, especially the guides. One guide who was assigned to cell block 12 asked Amy to move him to a different cell block just a few weeks after he started. When she asked him why, he said, 
there's a ghost up there. When I was at the edge of the cell block, it looked like this woman was running towards me screaming. And once she got close to me, she turned around and ran back and then just vanished. Three years later, a different guide came to her with the exact same story. Yikes. He quit after telling it to her. And then there are the accounts of groans coming from where the pit was located, low moaning and sobbing. There are the whispers, menacing whispers coming from different cells almost always at night, angry voices. On a few occasions, the sounds seem to originate from black mists in the shapes of men. Are they the ghosts of those who died inside the prison walls? During its 142 years in operation, Eastern State Penitentiary saw 1,200 inmates die, 50 commit suicide, dozens murdered by other prisoners. And many of the in inmates who died inside Eastern State were first tortured repeatedly, either by the prison's vicious tools we spoke of earlier or by their own minds. Will these souls finally rest in peace when one day the prison is eventually demolished? Or like Gary Johnson, who broke a lock and claims he ended up trapped inside a cell, will all the tormented souls who died at Eastern State be somehow unleashed? That place sounds horrific. I know, that iron gag thing. Oh Holy my God. Crap. I did not think it could get any worse than that chair. Right, right. Right, and then, like the the freezing ice situation. Yeah, and it wasn't that long ago. Like that's what I was thinking. It feels like the 15th century or something. Oh my god! Yeah, but the 19th century. So here's some pictures. Oh. Uh, I, there are a lot of pictures with this one, which is cool. Oh, it is that, really beautiful. Yeah, so that's from the outside, and it really does look like a castle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a massive structure. I mean, I would like to go. Huh. Well. And, and then this next picture is inside of one of the cells. What it looks like. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, you don't get to talk to anybody. I Just when you were explaining the, yeah. even the guards wearing felt on their shoes, it's like, oh, oh we all say God. like, oh, I'd love a quiet afternoon. You mm -hmm. wouldn't want a quiet afternoon all day, every day. No music. You nothing can't even, for years. And of course, they're going to try and talk to the guards. They're going to try and like have yeah. the guard just something, some well, sense until, of human interaction. But then that then shit happens to you. The iron gag thing. I think about misophonia, like my, oh my, uh. Uh, both of ours yeah. uh, annoyance towards sounds that's a nightmare nightmare another nightmare just to hearing everybody eat and everything uh, this is one one of the corridors the cell cell course like the cell blocks see that's how they like walk wow. down you get the cells on each side and these are like it's an interesting design where it's like these things shoot out from that central kind of area like right you said it was like coming so out like of eight a, hallways like mm -hmm, octagonal mm -hmm. yeah can't remember the exact number but yeah it sounds about right well if it's octagonal it would be eight oh yeah good job <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this next thing is, look, so this is the mad chair, which I mean, it's just a chair, but that's like, but you're strapped to it and you don't get to move. Well, and, and not only do you not get to move, you're in so tight, like, yeah, the, yeah, you know, yeah. you're losing feeling sensation. Uh -huh. And I, I, of course, had this thought like, oh, and then you're, clots. you're sitting. No, I was thinking you're oh. sitting in a pool of your own piss and yep, shit. I thought about that too. Just yeah. disgusting. Oh, so gross. And then this next thing, because I wondered, I'm like, was that thing, one thing real, the iron gag? And this is an old illustration of the iron gag. So that thing was somehow clamped to your tongue. I guess, well, there, there's that tongue-shaped thing at the top. And, and for those of you listening and not watching, don't forget you can... Uh, oh, yeah, you can see these on Instagram and Facebook. Mm -hmm, yeah, yeah. yeah, these pictures. So... Jesus. Let's see, how would that work? That, that tongue-shaped part of that, like, <sighs> necklace-looking thing 
So it's going to go, you know, across your yeah. face and then it must open yeah. or something to yeah. clamp I, down. I couldn't find like a diagram of how it was put on you, but I mean, but then, whatever. But then it has to hold and then, it's, and then it's chained to your wrist and then your wrists are put behind your back. I mean, it's just Which like, is so uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. Like so you want to move. I mean, I think that's the whole point of it. It puts you in a situation where it's really painful to just be in that position. And then, of course, you want to move, but any sudden movement and you rip your tongue. Well, yeah, and I was trying to think like, okay, if you lie down on your stomach so <sighs> that like you're... But then, what if you have an itch? Oh, my God. You know, and then, okay, just now I was thinking, like, yeah. okay, arms behind you. And right. then what if you tried to, like, curl into a ball or something to, like, kind of, like, release the pressure on your shoulders? Nope. Yep. Yikes. Yikes. That wasn't so scary so much. It, I mean, I'm sure that it's haunted. How yeah. You can't torture people like that for years upon years and have all those deaths concentrated in one place without there being somebody who's come back to get some vengeance. Yeah, if paranormal activity is real, it's it's definitely happening there. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, not not so much scary, but I'm just thinking about mm-hmm. like those torture devices, that always uh sends me a little bit over the edge where it just Excuse me, because you know that it's so real. Yeah. And those things did happen to people. That is documented and that that alone is like, "Oh my god." Right, right. It's like when you watch the movie Seven. Yeah. And they get to the the sex rape What's thing. In the box? Oh yeah. Oh god. Mm-hmm. I get, we should, we should see that movie again. We should. That's a great movie. It's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Great, great movie. Okay, well, are you let, ready for some other stories? I am. Do you have your squishy squish? I do. Okay, so again, we're going to Sweden. Oh yeah, Sweden, right. But Sweden. I'm, I had to oofta. say oofta oofta. Hangi bangi. I have to say three crazy Swedish words. Okay. And they're right in the beginning, and then we can just move right past it. So everybody can just, okay. So our email says, Dear Lindsay and Dan, while I have found myself recently becoming more and more interested in your podcast, due mostly to the hilarious sounds of Lindsay's terrified reactions to Dan's stories. (laughs) Yay. Yay. I have to say, I absolutely hate to be scared. Funny. That said, I wanted to share with you an experience I had growing up in a small town in Sweden back in the 1980s. Okay. Okay. I was 13 years old in 1983 when my family and I moved to a small farm near the town of Skedensmund. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it on the, yeah, mm-hmm. I can picture it. Yeah. Which is directly across the Angerman Levin. <laughs> River. Yeah. <laughs> okay. In the city of Solfate. Nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, Nate, fluent. Okay. fluent. Um, yeah, exactly. You guys. I, I, I didn't want to make anybody you uncomfortable. Be, you be with a tour guide. It, yeah, I'm, I'm a lyrical genius here. Okay. Uh, although I was the youngest of three children, by the time we moved to the farm, it was only my 18-year-old sister and myself, as our older brother Jonas had lost his battle with cancer at the age of 17 just three years prior. My sister Ellen and I were best friends, and I was heartbroken when she left to attend her first year of university some two hours away, uh, south, two hours south of the farm. Uh-huh. I was always a quiet and introverted kid growing up. Because we didn't have close neighbors, and many kids I went to school with lived in the more populated areas of town, which were too far for me to travel on my own. My family owned one car, and my mom usually needed it to get to her job across the river during the day. I frequently spent my days during the fall and winter exploring the farm and our house. I would spend hours climbing through the various books, photos, and knickknacks I found in the cellar, on the bookshelves, and in the cupboards throughout the old house. When I wasn't busy, when, when I wasn't busying myself playing Indiana Jones, I was helping my father, 
but really I was just holding a flashlight, losing screws, and generally getting in the way as he made repairs to the house. Uh, The house was about 100 years old when we moved into it. Since my sister was away at school, I got to move all of my things into her room, Mm -hmm. which was slightly bigger than my own. While I loved being in Ellen's room, I never really felt entirely comfortable in in there at night. There were several strange things that particularly bothered me about Ellen's room. I always felt cold when I was sleeping in my bed, no matter how many blankets I had on top of me. My bed was across the room from the window that overlooked my dad's field, and despite the fact that he replaced the window himself, the draft just never went away. Also, regardless of the fact that the room faced towards the south and received Mm -hmm. tons of natural light throughout the day, there was always a corner of the room on the opposite side of the room from the window that seemed to be darker than any of the other corners. Even when the room's ceiling light was turned on, lighting up the whole bedroom, that one corner looked dim, like there was something blocking or filtering out the light. Mm -hmm. Even shining a flashlight into that corner didn't do much good. But that wasn't the worst part about that particular corner of the room. I remember one night in late February, 1984. My parents were on the main floor of the house, and I was in what was now officially my bedroom upstairs. I was on my bed, working on some homework, when from the dark corner, I began to hear what sounded like the muffled laughter of several people, Uh. followed by a series of thumps on the floor, like there was a party going on downstairs below my bedroom. This was impossible for two reasons. One, my mom and dad were the only other people in the house besides me, and two, the room directly below mine was a bathroom. I tried to ignore the sounds and focus on my homework, but after about five minutes, I got too scared and ran downstairs to get my mom. When I described what I'd heard, she insisted that I was making it up as neither her nor my dad had heard anything at all as they sat in the living room, which shared a wall with the bathroom directly below my room. Mm -hmm. I convinced her to come see for herself, but inevitably, once I managed to get her into my room, the noises had stopped. She was tired and unimpressed and decided I was... It was too much. I'm sorry. And decided I must be too. (laughs) Sorry. She was tired and unimpressed and decided that I too must be letting my own fatigue play tricks on my mind. She told me to go to bed as she herself was about to do the same. That night, I was once more trying to fight the cold draft that covered me as much as my heavy wool blankets did when I suddenly had that terrifying impression that I was no longer alone in the room. Uh. Although my eyes were shut tightly, my head was buried underneath the blankets, I felt a dark presence from the shadowy corner of the room where I'd heard the strange noises earlier. I kept telling myself that it was just my imagination, and I began to repeat, don't think about it, don't think about it, don't think about it, over and over and over to myself, hoping that I'd somehow be able to convince myself that I was indeed alone, despite the now obvious presence of something standing beside me as I lay huddled in bed. I didn't want to turn and look, so I stayed rolled up in a fetal position despite having opened my eyes and stared into the blackness of my bedroom. I was terrified but unable to make a sound. I was now shaking and could feel whatever it was standing Mm -hmm. beside me on either side of my bed begin to move closer to my head like it was leaning over the top of me. I quickly shut my eyes again, wishing for whatever it was to just go away when I heard the familiar series of thumps coming from the far corner of the room. Startled, I drew a quick breath and then heard someone whisper into my ear a long, drawn-out, Margarita. 
That was all I could take. I screamed at the top of my lungs. My parents came running into my room, just as terrified as I was. I was in tears, still buried under my covers, sobbing uncontrollably. It took my mom several minutes to calm me down in order to tell me what had just happened. Mm -hmm. Despite insisting that what I just experienced, my mom was convinced that I'd only had a nightmare. Due to my age and size, there was no possible way I was going to be able to sleep in my parents' bed. <laughs> so I was reassured that there was nothing to fear and then left alone in order to return to sleep once more. Obviously, this didn't happen. I stayed awake for the rest of the night, all the lights left on in my room, but too scared to look in one direction, that dimly lit corner. Shortly after this episode, I moved back into the bedroom that I was originally assigned when we first moved into the old house. I decided that I would let Ellen have her room back, despite my fears that she would encounter the same strange noises and entity that I had. I didn't experience anything out of the ordinary back in my room. All of the corners were well lit, there were no noises, and despite being located directly over the kitchen, I never once felt any drafts, even though the window in the room had not been replaced like the one in my sister's room had. Ellen returned home for her summer break at the end of June and was happy to have her old room back. I told her about my encounter and asked her if she'd ever heard strange sounds coming from the dark corner. While she denied ever hearing sounds or feeling what I felt, including the draft, mm -hmm. she did relate a story of her own of an encounter in that room that solidified my decision to stay as far away from that room for the rest of my time as we lived in that house. Ellen told me that one night, shortly after we had moved into the house and just before she left for her first year of university, she was drifting off to sleep when she felt a weight near the foot of her bed, like someone was sitting near her feet. Mm -hmm. She opened her eyes and looked up to see an old woman with long white hair wearing a pale nightgown sitting quietly looking at Ellen. Jesus. My sister was shocked and frightened, but the woman just smiled and calmly told her not to worry. As long as her husband stayed downstairs, there was no need to be afraid. Ellen then said the woman began to fade away, but before she disappeared completely, Ellen could hear her voice as though she were standing right beside my sister's head saying, he does have an awful temper though. And with that, Ellen fell back to sleep. She told me that she wasn't sure if she had dreamt it or not, and being a pragmat pragmatist, she didn't put too much thought or concern into the whole experience. Even after I relayed my own upsetting encounter, Ellen just shrugged it off as a bad dream, just as my mother had. Mm -hmm. Over the next several years, as my family remained in this house until I was 18 and heading off to university myself, we would continue to hear occasional thumping sounds, laughter, and whispers coming from that bedroom. My mother even told me about seeing objects in and around the kitchen and the downstairs bathroom independently moving around. I never again set foot in my former bedroom as it had completely creeped me the fuck out. After university, I moved to the U.S. and I have lived in and around Denver, Colorado ever since. I hope my story has given you the same amount of chills that it did to me. I hope I never experience anything like this again. Keep up the awesome work on your podcast. You two are so much fun to listen to. Only make sure to always do it in a brightly lit room with my... I always make sure to do it in a brightly <laughs> lit room with my husband and two dogs close uh, by. All the best. Margarita Allen, Denver, Colorado. Interesting. The, I mean, the thing like the mom seen, saying that like years later that she claimed to have seen like, it mo like objects move independently. Uh-huh. Just see, like forget everything else. Just seeing that happen. Like if I'm home... Oh, yeah. And a salt shaker on a flat counter that I know Fuck. is flat just goes and just slides across the table. Oh, my God. Like, just pew. 
Yeah. Can you imagine? Just just that one time. Just seeing uh. something like that one time would flip me out. But then if, but then when you compile a bunch of things together or like for multiple people over a series of years, mm-hmm. like if I'm if I'm a member of that family, it's like uh, if, I, if I've seen something like that and then other people have all, then there's no doubt. Like you have to believe in that stuff for the rest of your life, I think. Yeah. Or at least in that house. Because it, it could be contained to that house. I mean, right, but if it happens in that house, it's, I mean, there's, there's. Well, yeah, that means it happens everywhere. Yeah, but happens like maybe, places, yeah. but maybe you can get a house without a spirit thingy in it. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I'm just saying, like, it would make me. I would want to. That's the thing. I would <sighs> want to move because I would feel, I would feel more prone to think like, okay, yes, these things can happen, and they're clearly happening here. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they must happen everywhere. Uh, sure, sure. Other people's stories could be bullshit, still, stuff like that. But some, of, but I would just think like, okay, like my tiny little experience of the little water thing, like not understanding how it was full blast in the rainbow room. That's, yeah. that's the only thing I have. And I, it's only, that's why I keep reading it. It's like, I wish I had a better story, huh? but just that little tiny thing changed yeah. me a little bit mm-hmm. because I'm like, oh, I just still to this day can't like, it just doesn't make sense to me. But if I, but seeing something move mm-hmm. is a big level above that. Right. Of course. No, I'm, a, un- I'm agreeing with oh, you. Oh yeah. So I'm just saying like, if I, man, that would just change you forever. And that would make yes. every, and like when she's talking about like not wanting to be scared, that makes sense to me. Because it it gives much more credibility to sure. every other scary story where you're like, oh, totally, maybe, or, you know, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm with you 1,000%. Yeah. yeah, sorry, my brain's just stuck on, oh, my God, but how like, that would change me. My thing, yes, it would absolutely change you. It's just like um, if you've never broken a bone oh, yeah. and you can only think about, like, you can only imagine how painful it is and then you break a bone. And then every time someone tells a story about breaking a bone, you're like, oh, yeah, oh, I yeah. feel that, right? right? Right. Fine. Great. It happens in our house. That's why I want to get the fuck out because mm. it 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 doesn't mean that it must happen everywhere. Oh, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can. Right. But and now it, you and know, it, and it's happened here, yeah. and I know it happened here. So now yeah. I have to get out. I see. Let's try and go somewhere where maybe it's not happening. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah? Okay. Okay. Uh, I have another one for you. Okay. You ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. That was a good one. It was. I, I mean, good, they're all good. I mean, you know, I know, but that, but that was like. No, Jesus. I know. I feel yeah, and and you know, Swedish words. It wasn't the worst. Mm. You just had a little. You just had one little sequence of them. You got, I, you got I, them I just, all out in one shot. Well, she did reference this. Like she did say the same city. Like when I was going to school, but I was like, Mm-mm, uh, I'm just gonna say, nope. it. Yep, yep. I'm just gonna say, I get it. Yep. City. <laughs> okay, so this is a great story from a fan and uh, of our show who's also come over from Ologies. We're oh, huge yeah. fans of Allie mm-hmm. Ward. Mm-hmm. Yeah says, hey, Dan and Lindsay, I'm an ologite and decided <laughs> to check you guys out after hearing her review of your pod. Yay. I'm definitely a peeper, but I have been binging all of your episodes every night to scare myself while I work the third shift. Mm. I know, so brave. Couldn't do it. I'm writing to tell you my experiences in my childhood home, which still creep me out to think about them now. I'll start by saying I've always been sensitive to the paranormal. I am a scientist, but I cannot completely rule out the existence of paranormal as I have experienced it myself firsthand. It is a trait that I attribute to my father, who's also very sensitive to energy and spirits. Mm -hmm. He was adamant that we should never bring a Ouija board into the house as it opens up doors you cannot close. We never did. When I was 14, my parents bought their first home and we settled in rural Pennsylvania. My family had moved around quite a bit as I grew up, and it was so nice to finally have a place that was ours. The house was large enough for six of us, and it was quite nice, but very old, so my parents got it at an affordable price. 
The house had three bedrooms upstairs, one bedroom downstairs adjacent to the dining room and den, a large living room, and a large kitchen. Things were going well for the first few weeks when we moved in until it became clear to us that we were not the only occupants of this expansive place. Mm -hmm. It began when my parents attempted to renovate the living room. They were working late into the night, removing wallpaper and carpeting, and decided to play music. My parents are the 80s rock kind of people, so naturally that's what they put on. A minute later, the stereo shut off. My mom turned it back on, and then it shut itself off again. This continued for a while, my mom flipping between stations with no luck. That was until she hit a classical music station, and it remained on. Weird, but they didn't think much of it Mm -hmm. and just decided to call it a night. But this was only the beginning. A couple weeks later, I was alone in my bedroom besides our two cats, attempting to go to sleep. My bedroom was the one on the first floor, and it had a small wooden door with a metal handle on the inside leading to a screened-in porch. As I closed my eyes and began to drift off, I heard a loud banging inside my room as if someone or something had grabbed the handle on the door and began yanking it in an attempt to get out. Bang! 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 I was startled, but I thought I had dreamt it as if I was half asleep. But the cats were now running around the room completely freaked out. I wrote it off and went back to sleep, only to be awoken by my dad, who peeked into my room a few minutes later and asked me, who was banging on the door? Many of my encounters would happen while I was in that room. Sometimes it would sound like an entire party was upstairs with people walking around and talking, but I would know that no one was upstairs at all. As I sat on my bed one afternoon, I heard someone come down the stairs and loudly run across the den and dining room with what sounded like boots on. Clump, 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 clump. They stopped outside my closed door. I waited to see who it was, but no one opened the door. Hello? I asked. I opened the door to see, but there was no one there. Not only was there no one there, but no one was home at all. Thoroughly spooked, I went back into my room and tried not to think about it. Eventually, I moved my bedroom upstairs near my siblings. Shortly after, my mom began to have her own frightening encounters with whatever lived in our house. It began as she awoke one night to see a dark figure in a hat, a tall man, standing in the doorway of her bedroom. He had no malicious intent, she describes, and instead, he slowly walked across her bedroom and gazed out the window. She said he looked as if he was smoking a pipe and gazing out the window was something he had done a hundred times before. And then he just disappeared. She affectionately called him the smoking man and told me he would very often visit at night, but my mom wasn't afraid of him. She doesn't believe that he was the entity responsible for her sleep paralysis just a few short weeks after her first encounter with the smoking man. One night, my mom awoke and suddenly realized she couldn't move. She tried to call out to my dad, but no sounds came out. She described to me that she felt something right behind her, staring at her, and believed that if she was able to turn around, she would see something absolutely terrifying. She felt it, but she couldn't move away and was growing increasingly petrified. After what seemed like an hour, it suddenly lifted and she could move again as if nothing was there. My dad also had many experiences as he had insomnia as a result of his jobs and would be awake all night. He would sit in the living room watching TV and began noticing things running by the doorway. Dark shadows would pass by every couple of minutes. They never scared him until one night. 
After shutting off the TV and deciding, deciding to try to go to bed, he walked out of the living room and into the kitchen. As he walked past the living room on his way upstairs, he noticed floating red eyes in the far corner of the room. Oh my God. Now, my father is a 6'4", heavily tattooed tough guy. So in the house... Uh, so he, it takes quite a bit to spook him. He told me that he believed there were spirits in this house that meant no harm, but he is not sure that that was one of them. Since he was awake during the night, he would sleep during the day. He came downstairs one afternoon telling us that he was awoken by what sounded like a room full of people in his bedroom. He had woken up in the sheer seconds before he opened his eyes. He heard when someone saying, shh, 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 as if telling the company keep their voices down. Because of what we were all experiencing, my parents decided to do some investigating into the history of the house. They discovered that it was nearly a century old, making it one of the first houses to be built in our town. It belonged to, fam it belonged to family that owned much of the land in town before it was built upon. Our large house was their entertaining space, Funny. and there had been a smaller house built behind it. It made sense, as we were hearing what sounded like a party upstairs nearly constantly. Over time, we grew used to hearing things and seeing orbs and so on, and it seemed to calm things down, uh, and it seemed to calm down after a bit over the years of us living there. We would sometimes encounter things that couldn't be explained, like hearing wind chimes in the coat closet, the creaking of the wooden floors in the middle of the night, or the sudden feeling of being watched. Absolutely nothing, though, prepared me for what was and still is my most chilling experience to date. My parents had decided to take a vacation together to attend a reunion in Ocean City. They had been gone over the weekend and were expected home that day. I woke up at about 9 a.m. and heard our dog Sam barking downstairs in the living room. I heard him get up and shake his head and jingle his collar, making his usual greeting noises. I heard my mom tell him, it's okay, Sam, lay down. You're a good boy, Sam. I thought, oh, okay, they're home. Mm -hmm. I quickly got dressed and went downstairs to greet them. No one was there. I texted my mom to see where they had gone, and she told me that they had not even left the hotel yet, wow. and it would be a few hours before they were even home. A chill ran down my spine. I had heard my mother's voice clearly speak to our dog just a few minutes earlier. Who was that? Oh my, God. my siblings were not home. I was alone. I ran upstairs, locked myself in the bedroom until they were home later that day. I still have no idea who said that or how they sounded exactly like my mom. Today, my mom still lives in the house with my sister. My parents divorced a few years ago, and my mom says that she thinks that the spirits in the house feed on negative energy. She believes in crystals and healing energies and Reiki yes. <laughs> and tries to keep a positive vibe in the house. I'm not sure how much of that I truly believe, but the house does feel calmer and I haven't experienced anything during a visit because it works. She didn't see the smoking man or have any bouts of sleep paralysis. So the crystals might not be all BS, Dan. Oh, boy. Thank you guys for reading my story. Apologize for the length. I hope it spooked you as much as it still spooks me. Thanks for all you do. I love listening to your stories and scaring my girlfriend with them later. <laughs> Please keep up the great work as I'm on the edge of my seat every week at work waiting for your new episodes. Jackie. Oh, that's so nice, Jackie. It's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one, man. Seeing something like that, like like when everyone's seen different things and then the little thing with red eyes... Oh, my God. That would fuck with me. Oh, yeah. Because then every time – because you know how sometimes like when you stare at light, oh 
and you, you know, you kind of like see little mm-hmm. orbs or whatever. You just assume from then on out, every time you thought you saw something, that you absolutely saw something. Right. And the little shadows going back and forth, like at the doorway. Oh no, thank God. you. No, thank you. No, thanks. And the fact that like her dad, I, I just was like kind of picturing you, just oh. like a big <laughs> tattooed guy. For him to admit that he saw it and then it like made him uncomfortable right. in moments. Clearly, sometimes he thought it was okay. And other yeah. times he thought like, uh-uh. Yeah, because I would. I mean, <laughs> now you're going to be like, if I admit this, you're going to be like, well, are you hiding something? Uh-huh. But, but I, and I haven't. I haven't seen it. But if I did see, my first inclination would be to not talk about it mm-hmm. because I wouldn't want to every, get everybody all worked up and everybody That's scared. Fair. Right? Like, I wouldn't want to, like, create fear in the house. Like, you don't appreciate it when you mention things about, like, oh, sometimes when I sit, like, in this chair, it feels like something's over my shoulder, and then I fuel the flame, and I'm like, well, yeah, because there's something in our house. Right, right. Like, right. you don't love that. Right, right. <laughs> but, like, oh, but, but something like that would just be, oh, that would be really hard not to share. Right. Like, uh, yeah. Floating you, you, red you, eyes. You would know. You, If I saw floating red eyes and little shadows going outside the door, I wouldn't be able to keep that inside. You, no, you, no. And, and before I even admitted it, I would be off. Yeah. You, you would know, like, what is going on with him? Yeah, you'd be. Yeah. I'd be jumpy. And, and you are already jumpy. What did True. you jump about the other day? I was dying. Oh, like one of the dogs barks or something. Oh, my God. Yeah. I've always been easily startled. <laughs> it's Where, so it's a different, funny. It's a different thing than really a scare. It's just like you're, I'm in my own little world in my head. And then just a loud noise makes me jump. And then, and then I get immediately angry at whatever made the noise to, that made me jump. And it's it my was, favorite. Yeah, I was walking over to flip the record on the record player, and yeah. some dog that I didn't, I know, I, I thought about it afterwards, and I think faintly in the distance, I did. There was a dog that barked in our neighborhood, mm-hmm. and then Ginger happened to be right behind me, and she just like let loose, <laughs> and like I feel like the cartoon where the person <laughs> just goes straight up in the air. That's so great. It scared the shit out of me. Yeah, well, I, watching scary movies with you. Not that I really do it anymore. Yeah, I jump. But oh my, even like a war movie. What you Anything know that they're about to I shoot know. a gun. I know it's. I know I'm gonna jump, and I can't. Oh, I love it. I love it. it Remind. And I read something a long time ago that that whatever part of your brain does that, like, is uh, like you're predisposed to it. it. Like, like if people are jumpy in your family, you're more likely to be jumpy. Okay. I can't remember the exact thing, but my uh, I always think about my great grandma Stell. Mm-hmm. Um, she was the jumpiest. Really? Oh, and I love to rile her up. And now I'm like, that's my destiny. That's your destiny. Yep. And then someday, if I'm lucky enough to live long enough, I'll have grandkids that are just spooking the shit out of me just because oh, they like God. the reaction they get. I got this email from a fan and she just said like, this is a quick, hilarious thing. Yeah. Her her and her husband both like spooky things. Yeah. Um, and he, they had gotten up and he was like, oh, I'm going to go take a shower. But he went to go do something else first. Yeah. She snuck into the bathroom oh. in the dark. Oh. Kept the shower curtain oh, closed. Oh no, that would get me. <laughs> I know. I thought it was so funny. And then she said when, she, when he peeled back. <laughs> Back the, oh. the shower curtain. She just jumped at him and he about shit his pants. Oh, I bet. I bet. Oh, how good is that? That's a good one. That's, That's a really a good, one. good one. Because everyone's afraid of the shower curtain. Like, thank oh, you, yeah. Mike Myers. You did that for us. Mm-hmm. And and Hitchcock. Yeah. Psycho. Yeah. Psycho was the first thing where, you know, that's a... Uh... But Hitchcock movies aren't... Uh, to me, they don't make me jump. No, They're psychological. No, at the time, at yes. the time, it, you know, comparatively. Sure. But yeah, that was the first, I think the first I real, like, right. shower thing. And yes. Uh, and then all the slasher flicks. So good. Then it became, like, a staple, mostly because uh, producers knew that if they put some young... Hot. Hot lady naked in the shower, that you're going to get a lot of uh, mm-hmm. tickets paid for. 
for that alone. Yeah, it, there's a lot of that, and there's a lot of like wet white t-shirts. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Another staple of horror: somebody running around screaming with their like nipples losing. throwing, showing through their yeah. wet t-shirt. Yeah. S- like their shirts falling apart in all the right places. Horror movies when I was going through puberty, I mean, that was kind of one of the things that I could get away with the nudity because oh, yeah. my mom wouldn't think of it as like nudity. Right. I would just be like, can we watch a scary movie? And then we're like, sure. And then me and my buddy are staying up late at night, you know, watching the scary movie, not talking to each other because we both were uh, worried that the other person was seeing our boner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lordy. Is that why <laughs> Kyler's suddenly into scary movies? <laughs> Maybe. He's into the hot girls. Those are different now. Yeah. They don't, I mean, I don't know that he really watches slasher flicks. That was such right. an 80s, 90s thing. I mean, I know they're still out there, mm-hmm. but way more popular. Mm-hmm. And so many B ones. But so they, many. But they would show up late on Cinemax and like yeah. HBO, where like the, the quality of programming for those networks has gone up considerably. Yeah. But back then it was a lot of cheap horror movies. And it was just, yeah, the same tropes. Just get just to get a couple. They called them, I think, uh, Scream Queens. Mm-hmm. They did. Stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like thinking of uh, HBO. Mm hmm. We just watched, if anybody's looking for something to watch, we just watched season three of True Detective. So good. So freaking good. I think we might have mentioned it recently on air, but we're done with it now. And season one was awesome. Season two was, yeah, season two was shit. I didn't even finish it. Yeah. Season three. Yeah. Season one, phenomenal. Season two. Infuri- in my, yeah, in our opinions, infuriatingly bad. Yeah, and most people, and I think. such a drop where I'm like, what the hell? How did it drop that quick? And then season three spiked right back up. Yeah, I think it was uh, poor writing. Somebody else told me that because yeah, the cast was still good. And they still had a great yeah, budget. Yeah, I, I felt bad for like Colin Farrell. Anyway, I know, we can talk I know. forever about it. I know. Well, and now we're watching the Jeffrey Epstein thing, which is scary in its disturbing. own right. Disturbing. Yikes. Uh, well, that is all for today, okay. right? Yeah, that's it, you know. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you for continuing to send in your tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Um, thanks for helping with those emails, Heather Rylander. And for other emails, uh, you can send them to info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Send me a message. Send, send Lindsay a message. Thanks for listening, watching this Bad Magic production. Thanks to the team, Logan and Kate Keith, social media, badmagicmerch.com. Uh, new Idahoans. Yay! Uh, thanks to Zach Flannery for producing and directing many of the episodes. Thanks to producer Sophie Evans for finding many of our stories. And thanks to Joe Paisley for producing, directing, and adding and creating the custom sound bits. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where you can also see the pictures at Scared to Death Podcast. And subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube. Enjoy your nightmares, creeps, and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye, y'all. If spirits threaten me in this place... Fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but has no home here within scared to death.